are listening to Japan Experts, the podcast that helps you make your trip to Japan a truly unique and immersive experience. I'm your host, Miyuki Seguchi. I moved overseas to study at age of 18. Since then, I've gained immersive travel experiences in a few dozen countries and realized Japan is a country I should be proud of. And so I learned all things about Japan and became a licensed guide. Now, I'm here to help travelers like you to plan and prepare for a trip to Japan. Whether you are traveling solo or you don't speak Japanese, I've got you covered. All you need is a bit of courage to immerse yourself in Japan. I'll give you all the knowledge you need to plan your trip, travel confidently, and interact with Japanese people so that you are totally excited and encouraged to make a trip to Japan. Welcome back to another episode of the Japan Experts Podcast. I'm your host, Miyuki Seguchi. I hope you're having the most amazing week. Today, I'm super excited to share a podcast interview I was part of for the Better Travel Podcast with Paige McLanahan. In this interview, we talked about over tourism in Kyoto, which is a timely topic as we are in peak autumn leaf season right now and the number of people visiting the city is increasing. Although this interview was recorded at the end of last year and released at the beginning of this year, what we covered in this interview still applies to now. One quick note is that my course that's mentioned in this interview is not running at the moment. Alternative options are the Uniquely Japan Experience, a one-on-one program to create your personalized itinerary and complete your travel arrangement in six to eight weeks, and personalized travel consultation sessions, which I'm very excited to launch in the upcoming weeks. The links to find out more details are in the show note. We have covered a lot in this interview, so I hope you enjoy it. So we tend to forget place names easily, but we remember people's kindness, like friendliness, and all sorts of feelings that we get through human interactions for a much longer time. And through these experiences, you'll gain a much more meaningful experience than simply visiting places. And I feel these experiences themselves are what makes your trip truly unique. And welcome to the Better Travel Podcast, the show that helps you be a smarter, better traveler. I am your host, travel journalist Paige McClanahan, and I am super excited to share this very first episode of 2023. So, today we are talking about immersive travel, what that means, and how you can create that kind of experience when you are on the road. We're also talking about travel to Japan, a country that just reopened to tourists a few months ago after more than two years of having its borders closed because of the pandemic. So, my guest today is Miyuki Suguchi. Miyuki is a licensed tour guide in Japan. She's also the host of the Japan Experts podcast and the creator of the Japan Travel Essentials course, which sounds really cool and which is launching later this month. There's so much good stuff in this episode. Miyuki and I talk about overcoming language barriers, what's going on with quote unquote over tourism in Kyoto, some fascinating types of cultural experiences that you can have in Japan, and also what this term immersive travel actually means. 
But I started my conversation with Miyuki by asking her about Japan's long-awaited reopening to visitors. The borders finally opened again to international travelers in early October in 2022. So it was certainly a great news that the industry and the international travelers were waiting for two and a half years. So I did indeed start to notice more international travelers since the border opened, uh, especially when I visited major tourist attractions such as Kyoto. So October and November is a great season for colored leaves in Japan. So this was definitely a big help. And the Japanese yen is still at a weak level. So it's a favorable environment for international travelers at the moment. Excellent. And do you think Japanese people are excited to have foreign visitors back? Or is it sort of a sense of like, oh, gosh, here we go again? You know? I think definitely the travel industry is Uh, happy about the situation because the industry has been like hitting really hard because of the decline. So, you know, the same in lots of places, I think, you know, there's uh, people are just so eager to have visitors back and to kind of get the economy moving again. So I wonder if we could take a step back and think about tourism in Japan and how it was evolving in the five to 10 years before the pandemic. I understand tourism was growing a lot in Japan then. Is that right? Yes. So the number of visitors arriving in Japan had grown five times over 80 years through 2019. So the number hit 32 million in 2019. And the Japanese government aims to have the number back again by 2025. So inbound tourism is definitely one of the things that the Japanese government aims to grow further. I think so many governments around the world see tourism as a way to grow the economy and create jobs. I mean, and these are jobs that kind of by definition can't be outsourced, right? So it can be, you know, if you can do it in a sustainable way, it can be a really important source of economic, you know, income for for a country. A lot of people, when they think about traveling to Japan, they most likely first think of visiting Tokyo and Kyoto, which are, of course, you know, kind of iconic Japanese travel destinations. Are there other destinations that people should keep in mind when they're thinking about Japan travel? Yes, definitely. Japan has so much to offer apart from big cities. So just to give a reference for the listeners, the land size of Japan is as big as that of Germany or California in the U.S., so it may depend on where you are from, but it's not a small country. So it has eight different regions covering subarctic in the north to subtropical in the south. So plus it has four distinct seasons. So it gives you great varieties depending on where to visit and when to visit. And what I recommend is to visit at least three different regions to experience regional characteristics and take day tours to the countryside and rural areas within each region. So even if you are staying in cities, because that's how you usually find regional characteristics. Oh, that sounds fascinating. And, you know, you mentioned Kyoto, and I read an article about Kyoto tourism that was in the New York Times maybe a month or so ago. And the article was about how local leaders there are trying to encourage visitors to the city to be more sensitive to their surroundings, more aware of issues like overcrowding, because I guess, 
you know, from what I was reading, it seems like Kyoto was one of the places in Japan that really saw a big increase in visitors before the pandemic. So I wonder, have you been following what's been going on in Kyoto? And, you know, what's your perspective on how tourism is evolving there? Yes, so I feel over-tourism is a big challenge for popular tourist destinations like Kyoto. So during the high seasons, like the cherry blossoms in spring and the colored leaf season in autumn, the traffic gets really busy. So, for example, the buses are packed. Uh, What happens is that you need to wait for another bus because the buses are already full of people, so you cannot go in. Um, I also came across a situation where it was hard to get hold of a taxi in the evening time because all taxis are taken. And transports and accommodations and other companies in the travel sector reduced the number of staff to cut costs over the two and a half years during the pandemic. So when I visited Kyoto this autumn, I felt that the supply wasn't meeting the demand. And in fact, taxi driver I met talked about the how busy the traffic was during the crowd leaf season. But he also said it would look very different uh, one month from now. So meaning that the demand isn't stable throughout the year. So as I mentioned, Japan has four distinct seasons and every season has its own unique beauty. So cherry blossoms in spring and colored leaves in autumn are beautiful, but other landscapes in other seasons, in other times of the year, are also beautiful. I'd like people to know more about what Japan can offer and be aware of what to expect in high and low seasons so that they can choose the right time and the right place for their visit. And if people are flexible and can adjust the timing for their visit, it would help reduce the congestion in high seasons and help create good demand for lower seasons. Yes, thank you so much for that answer. And I loved what you said about supply and demand, because I think, you know, what we're seeing in so many places that can struggle with, you know, quote unquote, over tourism is that it's just really a mismatch between supply and demand. And, you know, it can be a very time-specific and a very location-specific, you know, phenomenon that's actually kind of solvable if you look at the kind of things that you're talking about, you know, coming in a different season or just, you know, choosing, you know, or being wise about how you move around a city during the day and what time of day you go to different places. So, and it's wonderful to hear that Japan and, you know, a city like Kyoto would have things to offer in a season that isn't kind of the typical moment when a lot of people might think of of coming. So you specialize in helping people have immersive travel experiences, which is something that I, I love that phrase and I'd love to ask you about. So what does immersive travel mean to you, and why is this something that you think people should pursue in their travels? Yes, thank you for asking that question. So I highly value immersive experiences. Uh, what I mean by that is to interact with local people as part of the travel experiences. So it could be a simple interaction with local people you meet at accommodation, restaurants, or stations. Or it could be participating in cultural activity and learning skills from locals directly. So it could be spending a day with local guide and having a local food surrounded by local people. So the level of emerging may be different, but I feel it should always involve some quality time with locals. So 
I have um, traveled to more than a few dozen countries, and I had lots of interactions with local people through these experiences. So we tend to forget place names easily, but we remember people's kindness, like friendliness, and all sorts of feelings that we get through human interactions for a much longer time. And through these experiences, you'll gain a much more meaningful experience than simply visiting places. And I feel these experiences themselves are what makes your trip truly unique. Oh, I love that answer. Thank you so much. And I agree that spending as much time as possible connecting with locals can lead to such a meaningful and rich experience for a traveler. You know, I wonder if you could talk a bit about the language barrier when it comes to traveling in Japan and trying to have an immersive experience in Japan. If I'm a visitor to the country and I don't speak any Japanese, or maybe, you know, I learn a few words and phrases before I come, but really I'm not at all fluent in the language, how hard would it be for me to have, you know, meaningful interactions with the Japanese people I might meet during my stay? So as you know, Japan is a mono-ethnic country with 98% of the population being Japanese. And what may be even more surprising is that only one in four Japanese people has a passport, meaning that many Japanese people are not accustomed to foreign languages, customs, and people from abroad. So Japanese people study English at school, but Japan's English education system is focused on reading and listening, not so much on speaking and writing. So you may find many Japanese people being not so eager to speak in English. So in cities or major tourist attractions, however, you'll find English signs, and if you ask for directions, the chances are you'll find someone who's willing to help. So you don't have to worry about so much if you want to simply visit places. But if you seek meaningful interactions uh, with locals in Japan, what I recommend is to hire a good bilingual guide, because I always love spending time with local guides wherever I visit different parts of Japan. And the major value a local guide can offer is that they can fill you in on the details that are impossible to tell by simply looking at the sites on your own. And Japan is very rich in culture and history. And a good local guide will give you a cultural context, historical backgrounds, and human stories about the places you are visiting and how they are incorporated in the modern day Japan. So through these interactions, you'll gain a new perspective and deepen your understanding of Japan. And one other value that I'd like to share uh, is that they can be a bridge between you and the local community you are visiting. And because in Japan, people tend to avoid sharing their concerns with the total strangers because they don't want to cause any trouble. So local guides are more likely to receive these complaints and concerns from the locals who are living in these communities. I feel sharing the local community's needs and communicating with visitors are the responsibility of the local guide, including myself. And from a traveler's point of view, traveling with a local guide means you'd have a better chance to listen to the local community's needs 
and properly behave in a way that respects the local culture and the people. Oh, that's fantastic. And I agree. I think local tour guides are such powerful forces for good in the travel world, you know, across the globe, really, because as you say, it's so wonderful to have these people who can serve as sort of ambassadors for their, you know, culture, but also translators, whether literal translators or sort of cultural translators between the visitors and, you know, the hosts. Well, if I could add one more thing from my personal experience. Yes, please. So I totally understand that language is an essential part of communication. But I feel that we can still get to know locals even if we don't speak the same language. Because when I first moved to the UK, my English level was elementary. So I knew only a few English words and was barely able to make sentences. So I couldn't catch what people were saying. So I didn't know what's a proper way to say or behave in different situations, like ordering food and getting on public transport. So I used my five senses to perceive what people are saying. And I tried my best to communicate with people, although I barely understood what they were saying at, at the beginning. So I tried to behave and also I tried to behave in a way that people are more open to speaking to me, like trying to make eye contact and giving a smile on my face when saying thank you. And through these interactions, uh, we can get to learn a lot about each other. And that's the beginning of immersive experiences. And that's what I would love international travelers to try when they are in Japan. I say this because Japanese people are generally friendly and nice, and it's a safe environment. So I feel people can benefit from these interactions a lot. Oh, fantastic. And what a beautiful piece of advice for us whenever we're traveling anywhere. I mean, you know, even if, you know, I speak English, even if I'm traveling in another country where English is spoken, I can take that beautiful piece of advice you offered and put it to use by using my body language, my gestures to show my openness, you know, to interactions with people, making eye contact with people, smiling at people. And, you know, so we can use that among speakers of our own languages, but especially maybe, you know, when we're visiting countries where we don't speak the language. Thinking a little bit beyond language, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, what are the challenges to having an immersive travel experience in Japan? And, on the flip side, kind of what aspects of Japanese culture maybe make it easier to have this kind of experience when you're in the country? So I feel being authentic is very important to gain immersive experiences. And to do that, we need to know what is authentic and be able to discern what is authentic. So, for example, there are many temples and shrines in Japan. So some of them are worshipped by locals and have an authentic feel to it. But Jesus are becoming like a tourist attractions for photo taking. So if you want to gain a truly massive experiences, what I always recommend is to visit the right place for the right activity. So whether it's visiting historically and culturally important sites or participating in cultural activities. So for example, if you are interested in a Zen style, Zen style garden, Kyoto is a good place to visit. And if you are keen to know more about samurai cultures and samurai castles and history, the central region is a great place for you to consider. So Japan is very rich in nature, history, and culture, and it has a great regional characteristics, which are reflected in what travelers will experience, like landscapes, weather, 
cultural activities and local food. So every region or place has its unique charm that attracts visitors. So I really hope more people can pay more attention to these references and become interested in getting to know more about Japan before planning and visiting. Because ultimately, this knowledge will help people to determine where and where to visit and where to stay and will help people deepen their travel experiences. One thing that I've heard about in Japan that I would love to learn more about is this idea of staying in traditional accommodation. Can you talk about what that is and and how it works? Yes, of course. So the easiest way to try authentic experience is to stay at traditional accommodations. You'll get to experience many different aspects of Japanese culture by simply staying at one place. So there are a few that I'd like to introduce. So you may have heard of the Japanese term ryokan. It's traditional inn with a onsen. So onsen refers to a public bathing facility using natural hot spring water, which is great for your health. So you know, Japan has the biggest number of onsen hot springs in the world, and onsen places are all across Japan. Good onsen ryokan usually has an outdoor bus called rotenburo, as well as an inside bus. And some onsen ryokan have a private bus, and so that you can book such a facilities if you are not comfortable with the concept of the public bus. And the other feature for onsen ryokan is that they usually have two meals included in your accommodation fee. So in the evening, what you'll get is a kaiseki course meal uh, with multiple small dishes ranging from sashimi to grilled to steamed food, plus a bowl of soup, rice, and pickled vegetables. These small dishes uh, will be served one by one, and so you can take time to appreciate beautifully presented food and the taste of each dish. And a variety of seasonal and regional ingredients are used in the kaiseki cuisine. So their menu changes depending on the times of the year. And the menu is structured in a way that you have a healthy and balanced meal by having all the small dishes. So in the morning, you have a Japanese-style breakfast, which consists of small plates of food such as grilled fish, a small hot pot, eggs and seaweed, as well as a bowl of rice, miso soup, and pickled vegetables. So you'll get to experience Japanese full-course meals both in the morning and the evening, which is a great advantage of staying at a ryokan. Oh my gosh, that sounds fascinating. It sounds like an amazing and delightful amount of food. And I love the idea of hot springs, like indoor and outdoor hot springs. And you said that these are available throughout Japan, this type of accommodation? Yes. Okay, fascinating. And so that's one type of traditional accommodation. Are, are there others as well? Sure, of course. So just a type of accommodation is a Japanese guest house called the Minshuku. So this type of accommodation is often operated by a family who lives inside the same house or the next door building. So two meals are usually included as part of the packaged fee. So compared to the kaiseki cuisine at ryokan, you'll have a homemade dishes using vegetables from the home garden or other ingredients produced in the region. So minshuku are usually found in a rural area. So you'd have a chance to try fresh edible wild plants, especially in the springtime, which is a unique local experience in the countryside. 
and compared to customer service focused ryoka, you'd find Minshuku a homey place, as many Japanese describe it as a grandma's house in the countryside. Oh, I love that idea. Going to stay with like my Japanese grandmother, who I, I never knew I had. That sounds wonderful. So and the other option for authentic Japanese accommodation is a temple lodging called Shukubo. So Shukubo is accommodation located within the temple ground. So you can get to experience a religious ceremony at the Buddhist altar in the early morning, which is a precious opportunity that only guests who stay at Shukubo can participate in. Two meals are usually included in the packaged fee, and oftentimes these meals are the so-called shojin yori cuisine, which is cooked using only vegetables and soybean-based products. What I really like about staying at these authentic accommodation is that you'll have a plenty of opportunity to speak to locals, if you wish, so I highly recommend staying at these places. Oh, gosh, they all sound fascinating. I have to say, I would love to try each of those types of traditional accommodation on my first trip to Japan, because it sounds wonderful, especially that last one, staying in an accommodation within the temple grounds and being able to see or being able to witness that Buddhist ceremony at dawn. That sounds just magical. So... You clearly know a whole lot about travel in Japan, Miyuki, and I understand that you are creating a course, like a travel essentials course for Japan. Can you tell me more about that? So what I'm about to launch is a Japan travel essentials that help people gain a good understanding of Japan before planning and traveling. So it's a 30-day Japan travel program that gives all the essentials about Japan to help determine uh, when and where to visit how to get around, and where to stay, as well as help deepen travel experiences in Japan. So it, it actually includes a self-guided tool bundle about Japan's great sites. So this will be created based on my learning from local guides who are specialized in different culturally and historically important sites across Japan. So this should cover where exactly to visit, what to look out for at each place, and other interesting facts and stories, recommendations about local places and the region. I feel hiring a local guide for a day or two would be a great experience that I totally recommend, but if you want to go with a guide everywhere, it will cost you a lot, and it's not always to find a good local guide, good bilingual guide if you don't speak Japanese. So I hope this travel bundle will help people gain a better understanding of Japan uh, when they visit each place. Oh, what an excellent resource. And so where can people go to find out more about that? And do you know when it will be launching exactly? All the details are available on my website. So my website is miyukiseguchi.com. So M-I-Y-U-K-I-S-E-G-U-C-H-I.com. And I'm actually about to launch my course uh, later this month. Oh, fantastic. Okay, well, I'll be sure to put that link in the show notes. And of course, I'll share any information about it on social media as soon as the launch is official. So thank you for those details. Well, thank you so much, Miyuki. This has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. I have learned so much about travel to Japan, and I am even more excited to visit the country than I was before we started the conversation. And especially excited to see these rural accommodations, the traditional accommodations that you've been describing, which sound just fascinating. So yeah, thank you so much again for your time. And I wonder, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share? Sure. I just 
cannot stress enough about the importance of learning about Japan. So not only about destinations and places to visit, but also a history, geography, culture, and the language. Because I feel with this knowledge, you'll be able to find a new perspective and appreciate things on a much deeper level. And you can get to interact with locals and get the first-hand cultural experience, which will be a truly enlightening experience. And of course, this knowledge will help find the right choice for your trip and plan your trip better. So I really hope people will realize the true value of the knowledge you can build about Japan. And I'd love to help people who are interested in learning more about Japan. Fantastic. Okay, well, thank you so much, Miyuki, and best of luck with all of your work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you so much. 